0: Uh, so, uh, as many of you know, I'm, I'm doing kind of a, a sermon series, probably three messages that are more topical. I usually teach, you know, from a Bible book, so um, we will launch into, launch into those, those kinds of things when I'm done with this series, but I'm doing a topical series, and so we're, we're touching down on Isaiah 35 this morning, so we just read that passage, so we'll, we'll get there in just a moment. It's always a little bit difficult to just sort of touch down on a Bible passage, get all the richness and the context and meaning of it, and then sort of, you know, kind of parachute in and then kind of take off. So uh, be praying uh, this morning that we'll that will be effective. Um, the elders uh, gave me uh, six months off uh, a sabbatical. I've been here quite a while without any kind of a extended time off, so... I dearly missed missed you. If you're new to the church, uh, I'm really eager to get to know you. Uh, So um, one of the blessings of the experience was uh, we attended a a ministry in the Rocky Mountains just up uh, west of Colorado Springs. It's called Sunscape. And Sunscape is a ministry that started in the 70s. Uh, actually, James Dobson and others were instrumental in getting it up and going. And it's a uh, a place for pastors and missionaries uh, to decompress, to uh, figure out uh, burnout and uh, stress and, and all these kinds of things. And so we had we Marianne and I were there with uh, three other couples, and there was a lead couple. And uh, so we had a nice fireplace and uh, places to sit around, a nice, just big, beautiful kind of lodge. And then we had private cabins off off to the side, and uh, and, uh, it was just a beautiful, beautiful experience to just, again, yeah, it was really good for our marriage and uh, really good for me to understand uh, stress. Um, If you'd asked me, you know, a year ago what was, if I was under stress, I probably wouldn't know what you're talking about. I just... Just, it, wasn't, it wasn't part of my world I had to be aware of it. So what's interesting is that when we, I got back, um, and uh, Mary Ann was actually taking care of some details related to her mother's uh, mother's things. Her mother passed away end of January. So she was in San Francisco. And so I was back here uh, here in Montawili. And this is around February 15 or so. And uh, something happened to me. So I want to sort of give you an illustration to get us started about it our subject today. It was interesting is because I had made a phone call to a financial institution um, back in January, and when I got back in mid-February, there had been no movement, no, let's let's move the thing along, and let's get an answer here, and let's get this going. There had been no answer, no, no response. Um, and I remember around one o'clock that day, I had made a few co- phone calls to the East Coast, and then... Again, nothing going on in some of the things I wanted to get done. I noticed also dealing with customer service with some companies. Wow. Uh, voicemail jail, you know. And uh, so I was having all this, this sort of this to-do list, and it was like striking out, just striking out. just. So about 1.15 in the afternoon, I was standing in our bedroom, and uh, someone came over me. Uh, a rush of anxiety. It was profound. It was powerful. It was uh, something I noticed. I had just been at this nice uh, retreat in the Rocky Mountains, and now I'm back, and I'm in a nice house in Hawaii. That should work for most people. Uh, And I am filled with anxiety. And what's interesting is that I, I felt how odd this was. Normally, I would have thought this is sort of, sort of normal. But for the first time, I could feel it. I was awakened to what I was awakened to. That was very profound for me. Now, I, I say all this to say that anxiousness is actually a very normal or at least a mode of operating for me. Isn't that fun? Anxiousness. A minister of the gospel. Anybody catching the disconnect here? That anxiousness functions in my life as a kind of fuel to get things done. Now, there's some things about uh, the way we are. If you're anxious about your child who's just wandered out in the street, uh, that makes sense, that you have some energy to go and to, to, to tend to them. That makes sense, right? That's a, sort of a, a normal use of adrenaline and ang- anxiousness, right? Okay. But this, of course, was misplaced. And, of course, at this point, I've got to stop, and I determine to do something in that moment, and I wrestle these thoughts to the ground. And uh, I do something that is something I might preach to others about, but I'm applying this remarkable gospel to myself. And what I do in that moment, and I'm going to repeat myself a couple times, but what what I do in that moment is I think about the story that I'm in. And I am not in an autobiography. I'm in a biography. And someone else is writing my biography, by the way. I would love to be in in an autobiography, writing my own story, but I'm not. And someone has written me into this remarkable story, and it includes someone who came and conquered everything about this fallen world. He was born into this world, He lived a a perfect life. He suffered on the cross, uh, was under the power of death for three days, and then rose again and then ascends into glory. And he calls me and he calls you to let those events frame our anxiousness. Those events are to have a profound effect upon our day-to-day worrying. Jesus at the same time uh, tells us not only to be, to be looking at his redemptive pl- actions, but also to tell, he tells us specifically in the Sermon on the Mount to look around you and to watch God's care. Look at the lilies of the field. Now look at the sparrows. Notice God's care for them. Are you not worth much more than they? So, we can be studying God's care for this world, and that can assure us. And we have something even more special than that. We have God's personal care for us in the cross, you see. Anxiousness is, has been attributed uh, in a unique way to the modern era. Now, anxiousness has always been part of man's fallen condition. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, for instance, says, Be anxious for nothing. We'll talk about that. Uh, So anxiousness is something that is gripping America in particular uh, with something like uh, one out of five people uh, experiencing some sort of anxiety uh, disorder. Um, And so I stand before you as one who understands now, who can see more clearly his own anxiousness. And uh, I have worked through and I continue to work through what this means for my day-to-day living. And and I want to extend to you uh, a desire and offer if you want someone to just pray with you. Uh, As irrational as your thoughts may be, uh, you have jumped to a conclusion about life and you... Maybe you're afraid to say it to someone. I want you to know you. I sincerely be there for you. Would love to pray with you, and that you would not be alone in the worries and things that grip you. And I am also convinced, as I speak this morning, that one uh, message on this profound subject will not cover every every detail of it. Now, in Isaiah, in Isaiah is amazing uh, prophet, uh, and it's considered one of the most important uh, books in the Bible. Um, Isaiah is a fantastic book. It's a huge book. But uh, Isaiah was a prophet in the time when there was the the divided kingdom, when uh, after David was king, the, the kingdom of Israel divided. And so we would call the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. And Isaiah was a contemporary with uh, the prophet named Micah. And uh, Isaiah's ministry was actually to to, to both Israel and to little Judah. Jerusalem's down where Judah is. And Isaiah is remarkable in that he is kind of a panorama prophet. He can see not only uh, the details of Israel's idolatry and Judah's idolatry, but he can see the coming uh, hope of glory that God has for his plans for his people. And he he actually presents to us not only the present issues of his day, but goes all the way to the end of the world and the glory of the new heavens and new earth. So it's a magnificent book. Uh, And Isaiah um, is pretty much for the first half of the book is speaking to little Judah, and his message is essentially, little Judah, uh, just because you have Jerusalem doesn't mean God is going to put any kind of special protection over you if you remain in your idolatrous, rebellious ways. And little Judah, watch what happens to Israel in the north. And this massive uh, people called the Assyrians come in, and they, Israel will not listen to the prophets. And they come in and are a tool of chastisement and judgment. And the capital of, C of Israel, Samaria, 722 B.C., the capital falls, and Israel is, uh, is no more. And little Judah hangs on for, I'm just throwing out some round numbers, but hangs on for about 150 years or so. Maybe 200 years. And then a huge uh, group, uh, uh, a pagan kingdom called Babylon, comes in. And again, this is predicted by Isaiah before it happens that Babylon is going to be used of God to chastise and judge uh, little Judah. And there will be a thing called the, the exile, which takes place uh, in 538 BC, that begins, and it's roughly 70 years long, and uh, they were a group of these uh, Israelites are taken to a foreign nation called Babylon, the time of, time of Daniel takes place during that exile. So we have here in Isaiah 35, we have God coming with a consolation uh, to his people, uh, to, to Judah. And he's promising that he is going to come with a day of refreshing, redemptive uh, love. And he comes with this extraordinary statement that uh, comes in this chapter 35. And I want us to just interact with that for a while and interact with the theme of anxiousness. So take a look, if you will, uh, turn, if you have your Bibles there or if you have your, your worship folder and turn to Isaiah uh, 30, uh, 35. What Isaiah has been describing uh, in chapter 34 is the decimation and destruction of a people called the Edomites. In chapter 34, that dominates the uh, the whole chapter. And the kingdom of Edom is laid waste because of the judgment of God, and they have become a desert wasteland. Now, that is a contrast with what's promised in chapter 35. In chapter 35, Isaiah, uh, by the way, he loves talking about um, the blessing of water and water gushing and water bubbling up. Um, In chapter 35, we hear these remarkable words, Chapter 35, verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Describing beautiful places are now going to uh, manifest themselves in the desert, in a wilderness. Uh, An absolutely gorgeous place uh, in the Middle East will spring up uh, miraculously, and the desert is described in human terms as responding with joy. God is going to come with this remarkable consolation for his people. Now, difficult days are underway, Difficult things are underway. And God promises his people that he is going to come with great refreshing. Look at, um, look at verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble hands. Say to those with an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And now we hear the ministry of Jesus and his ministry of miracles. Listen, you can hear the, the Gospels here. Look at these next, next verses. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then, the, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. And so it goes on to describe the ministry of a miraculous return of of human beings to to normal life, to wholeness. Uh, People who have been ravaged by the fall are being mightily impacted by this salvation. And specifically, God turns to people and he speaks to the anxiousness, Of their hearts. This beautiful, beautiful picture of of a wilderness that this is not a wilderness where wildflowers normally bloom. This is a wilderness where nothing happens. This is just a sandy wasteland. And God gives this picture of salvation. And He gives this picture of water bubbling up and streams showing up. And this beautiful picture. To calm hearts, He is going to come and He is going to come and save you. Surprise, surprise that God will not always judge sinners. What it means is that He will find a way to release their debts. You will find a way to bring waters of refreshment to them. The anxiousness of the heart in the human condition is ultimately related to our relationship with God. When you think about the first uh, human beings God created, Adam and Eve, when they partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, instantly their eyes were opened and they experienced shame they began to experience the uh, alienation that came with sin. They were alienated from God, and they hid. They tried to fashion some sort of covering for their naked bodies. And they were hiding when God came to, to converse with them. And this sense of anxiousness has been with mankind ever since. Another word might work was Alienation. We just feel that we are disconnected at heart from not only God and not only others, but even ourselves. God seeks to save anxious people. What does God give the anxious heart? What does He give the anxious heart? In Isaiah 35, what He does is He gives them a vision of His glory. He gives them a vision of his glory. Now, I have, in my own uh, autonomous, uh, self-seeking way, I have a way of finding glory for myself. Um, I understand, so I think, what I need in life. And I am anxious when I can't get it. And... uh, but psychologists will tell us that when something is out of order, something is unusual uh, suddenly there's a noise from the, the church sound system that 's really ear piercing that's not hopefully not normal. Uh, you jump and if since it 's not normal and it's unusual, then it creates anxiety. Uh, when your orderly life is broken up, when your plans are disrupted, how do you respond? How's it going in your heart? That's a simple thought, isn't it? What happens inside you? And if you are like me, you become anxious. You become a person who is troubled because you're convinced that you can make yourself happy. And you see, what's happening is that we have many, many choices in our day and age. We have many, many things that we can choose. But if we were honest, not a lot of things are working. In fact, God is saying to us that in his coming and salvation, in his delivering you from that desire to hide... He his coming to you at that place where you are anxious, at the core of your being. At that place, he is coming to speak to you and to commune with you and to be with you and to assure you that the work of his son is working for you right now. Pastors get into real trouble when they are assuring themselves that God is working by the feedback they get from their congregation. This means that, uh, in, in America in particular, it is, you know, if you, for instance, you had a congregation of a 1,000 people, think about that. Uh, th- think about how untouchable the pastor would be. This means that we would think that that individual made that happen. And of course, you and I know that didn't happen. If God blesses a church with that kind of growth, we praise God for that. But in our day and age, our anxiousness is related to the things we think we can accomplish. And what God is Saying to his people in Isaiah is, when I come, I will come with a salvation that is refreshing at deep, deep in the core of you. Images of restoration are to capture our hearts. The framework by which we are to be thinking, if you are a Christian here today, the framework is... There is a great story underway, and I must convince myself of that great story every day of my life. There will be enough discouragements in life. There will be enough failure of other people to throw your heart off for days, weeks, even years. It's kind of a funny observation, sort of a twisted uh, Strange observation about baby boomers. I'm one of the younger baby boomers. I have a lot to say about baby boomers. But here's what baby boomers were taught uh, in so many ways by our society. Here's what baby boomers were taught. Here it is. We were taught that we have a right to a pain-free life. And when we experience pain, we have the right to dwell on it for 10 years and let everyone else know we have pain. In other words, the self just moves into a different mode. I'm not minimizing anyone here who's a genuine victim. I'm just saying that we have a anxiousness about our lives that for many of us, we just need to go to a third-world country and hang out for a while and get over it. I was in a church in Mexico. Just about all the churches, really, don't have floors. They have dirt. And you want to see some excited people worshiping the God of their salvation. I want you to wrestle your anxieties to the ground. But you have to do it every day. There is a great big story that you are part of, and I am part of, and I am a fellow struggler with you, that this story has got to get into us such that we are now able to receive suffering, able to receive the disappointments of people without fighting, without becoming bitter, without becoming angry. And we begin to transition. If the story really gets a hold of us, if it really gets a grip on us, we begin to transition from this self-orientation this self kingdoms, and now we begin to serve fearlessly because we are so well-loved. We would, without the gospel, be left to a world that is hostile without any comforting purposes at work. Beyond this, we would be left in a wilderness characterized by God banishing us and making us taste taste the fruit of our own ways. I would love to see us as a church growing in a, in a grasp of God's masterful care of our lives. I would love to see us begin to counsel each other where we'd be open and honest about the struggles of our hearts. And we would receive the encouragement of other people, the input from other people, the others who have gleaned an insight into the great story and they want to share with you how best to hold up under a difficult circumstance. God promises a highway later on in verse 8 of chapter 35, a highway. There's a, that's a beautiful theme in Isaiah, by the way, highway. There's a couple different kinds of highways in, in Isaiah. Remember John the Baptist preaching? And he quotes Isaiah. And he's make, John's preaching of repentance functioned like making a highway through the wilderness. Preparing the way of the Lord. And if you ever got an option, if you're, if you're hiking through a wilderness or you or, or or going on a highway, I think take the highway. It might be a little bit easier. And Isaiah pictures this redemptive highway where where God's people are being collected on it and they're being brought and they're walking and traveling to Zion. Zion is the gathering place of God's people. It's it's the Temple Mount in Jerusalem in their day. Beautiful beautiful highway. He will save us from the threats of this world, the powers of this world, the evil of this world, the inconsistencies of your heart. He will save you from the disappointments crushing you, from the failure of others defining you, from the, from the, uh, from others defining who you are, from losses in your life that seem to be destroying you. He will save you by connecting you to His great delivering purposes that are in the Son of God. Pastor, your church cannot save you. Pastor, your to-do list cannot function like the Son of God. Your desire to achieve and to get things done is good, but it is tainted with this twisted notion of master of the universe. Are you tracking with me? Am I the only one? I feel very alone up here. you mean I can actually face these inconsistent leaps in my mind where I've come to a conclusion? You see, I was coming that day on February 15 or so. It was, it was, it was crazy. I was having an anxiety attack, I guess. I don't know I became aware of it. And what was crazy is I expected to be able to, to get a response from people. I sent an email. Do you understand how important I am? I sent a voicemail. You ever get used to your dog? Do you ever expect your dog? Do you have like a casual relationship with your dog? When you when you call your dog, so is it kind of an option? None of you have a relationship with your dog that way. When you call your dog, what do you expect to happen? Immediate, because the word obey is something you expect, right? That's just a little glimpse into our hearts. Demanding, accusing, an others-centered condemnation, right? All the while, all the while, it's just a masterful deflection to your faith problem. It's a masterful deflection to what you are believing, what is your functional gospel. My functional gospel is my to-do list. And Jesus is just fuzzy, just this fuzzy talk stuff on Sunday morning. My exhortation to you is wrestle with this. Journal about it. Listen to your anxieties. They're real. Bring them to the Lord. Ed Welsh, a Christian counselor, says that our feelings want to tell us what is real. And I must, what does God give the anxious heart? He gives, he gives the anxious person revelation. I hope you find your Bible precious. We don't worship the Bible. But we must, we, we're desperate for it. I hope you've had recently experiences where you're looking at some scripture and saying, oh, I needed that. I needed that. That brings to me some perspective. That brings me some comfort. I hope you have those on a regular basis. Wrestle with them. If you need guidance on where to start reading your Bible, how to get involved, I'd love to talk to you about that. We are able to. I saw this on Pinterest. Kathy, you're into Pinterest, right? Okay, you're my guide. It was Anxiety Girl, kind of like a superhero. I said, an Anxiety Girl, able to leap to conclusions at a single bound. <laughs> That's good. Do you know 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, says these words? You were bought with a price. Know you were bought. Do you know that God purchased you? God wanted you. You were bought with a price. And He has put you in Isaiah's big story. He has put you in the big macro story, and you are going to be part of the new heavens and new earth. And all what we need to do is work backwards. I already have a seat at the the marriage supper of the Lamb. I've already got a reservation. I'm already there. Uh, Work all that privilege backwards and let that help you with your present sufferings and join with the Apostle Paul who says, I consider the present sufferings of this world not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. What does God give the anxious heart? He gives them a vision of glory. So what could be a prayer that you utter? What could be a prayer you form Lord, help me see glory. The Apostle Paul said that we see through a glass dimly, but we still see. And what we see, we want to see more clearly. Lord, help me see your glory with my, with my, with, with, with my, my spiritual eyes. Help me see your glory. I need your glory. I've been made for your glory. One time, when I was uh, 10 years old, we were off. My family was visiting my dad who was getting a master's degree. uh, And it required him to go to study Chinese education. Unusual story. And so we, as a family, visited my dad in Taiwan. Uh, This is about 190 years ago. And uh, so we are uh, swimming off the coast of, uh, of Taiwan there somewhere. I remember it was about five in the afternoon. It was dark. The water was gray. It it looked like it was going to rain. What are we doing out here? And I'm the youngest of five kids. Um, My oldest brother, uh, Chris and Scott and Jeff, and my sister Susan were all out there. And uh, I'm bobbing around, and the water's like right up to here. And um, all of a sudden... uh, an amazing volt of uh, voltage of electricity uh, just like it wraps all around me, and I am like glowing with electrical current. <clears throat> and this uh, huge man of war had just nailed me, and I was immobilized, frozen for a moment. And I remember looking up at my brother Chris. Not knowing what to say except, Chris, help. That's all I did. Chris, help. And I raised my hand as I, as I could. And I, did, and I remember the fear that went through me. And here's what it was because if you ever had brothers, here's what it is. Because <laughs> uh, brothers fight, and brothers don't get along. And I remember thinking to myself, will my brother, who was six foot three, big tall guy, will my brother care? I remember the fear. Of having to ask that question to myself. I couldn't, I did not have the ability to tell him what was going on. I did not know what was going on. And he, I just said, Chris, help. And he reached over and he pulled me. And it was like he lifted me out of the water. And of course, all these tentacles were all over me. And until into my 20s, I had a scar on my wrist from that experience. What is most of the New Testament about? This is, a, this is a kind of a big thing. Most of the New Testament is about doing one thing. Here it is. Most of the epistles, Galatians, and Romans, and Colossians, most of these epistles are really saying one thing. They're speaking to anxious, fearful hearts, and they're saying this. It's really, really true. It's really true that Jesus rose. Jesus is the king of the universe. He's above all powers. Uh, It's really, really true that he has brought you in union with himself. It's really, really true. And the epistles are addressing the fear that remains in our hearts. Christians, we have busy hearts. We have anxious hearts. we have a savior, we have a redeemer for those moments of anxiousness. And we have a church, we have a life together for these anxious moments. And do not be ashamed that you are still dealing with anxiousness. I want you to feel comfortable with the process that God is bringing you through because it is an important one, and if in the process you can have a bigger cross and a bigger savior to lift you out of yourself, that would be, it would be a privilege to watch that happen, and I know many many around you would want to help, to assist, because they need help and they need assistance. Does my brother care? And I was filled with fear And I was assured that he did. Does my heavenly father care? And he desires that you would be filled with the assurance that he does. Let's pray.
1: Lord, I thank
0: you.